We've been looking at um, the second letter of Peter. So we're in uh, first letter of Peter. Um, and we've been working our way through that. And so we're going to be in chapter 3 uh, this morning. So if you want to turn to that, you can. I wonder if you're one of those people, and I think in some way deep down of a, in all of us we are, that wants to make a difference in this world. You want to have an impact. You want to have an influence. When you leave this earth, you want to have left a footprint behind that changes things for the better for people. Some degree, all of us want that inside because God has made us in his image. And God is always looking to make differences in people's lives. But for some of us, that's a, not an easy thing to think about or get our mind around, especially when we have all the struggles and the troubles and the pressures and the stresses of life. Sometimes we're just thinking, how can I just get through today? How can I just get through the next hour? How can I get through the next half hour? And thinking about making an influence and leaving an impact just seems too far away. I've just got to survive right now to get through. Well, I'm sure some of the Christians that Peter is writing to here in those provinces around what we now know as Turkey in their churches were thinking some of the same things. The Roman Empire is so huge. They're so powerful. We're so small. Everybody looks down on us and they're suspicious of us. How can we possibly be an influence in this world, make an impact on this world? Uh, We're struggling ourselves just to survive sometimes. But Peter here in the passage we're going to read today holds out for them great hope that they can have not just an influence, but a great influence. Not just an impact, but a life-changing impact and a culture-changing impact on the communities that they're living amongst. Even though they're quite small or they're quite feeling under pressure and feeling uh, persecution coming towards them or whatever, he holds out hope that their lives can make a significant difference in the lives of the people around them. And he holds that same hope out to us today. Here at Gateway, as a people together, we want to make a difference. We want to make a difference as a church. We want to have an impact and an influence on our community. And see people come to Christ and see things change. How do we make that happen? How do we do that? Well, let's read together some verses here out of 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. We're going to start off where Andrew left us last week. Andrew is talking about how we can make an impact and a difference in our individual lives in different places, with the government, in our workplace, in our families. But Peter now talks to the people together and he says, finally, all of you. So now it's everybody in the church. I'm speaking to the whole church, everybody together. And he says these words. We're just going to read some verses out of 1 Peter 3 and then 1 Peter 4. Verse 8. Finally, all of you... Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins 
the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Let's pray. Lord, you put us on this earth to make a difference. And Lord, even though in our state as Lord, cut off from you and, and at a distance from you. Lord, when we were still sinners, you, Lord, still looked at that heart and that life of ours. And you had a plan and a purpose for us. Lord, to be a light and to be salt in our community. And Lord, I just pray you would teach us from your word today how we can line up with you, Lord, so that we can have the maximum influence and impact on the community that you have called us to in this day and the culture that we've called us to in this day, even though, Lord, we're feeling pressures of all sorts of things from different sides. Teach us your ways, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the Apostle Peter, when he's writing here, He's saying to these folks, if you want to have the maximum influence on the world around you, you have to think and act like Jesus did. Therefore, he says, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. He's saying that the person he knows that had the most impact, the greatest impact, the greatest influence on life was Jesus Christ. Nobody's had more influence and impact on the world than Jesus has. And on our individual lives, for many of us here, that influence has been absolutely life-changing. He's changed cultures. He's changed nations. Nobody changes the world more than Jesus does. And Jesus had life-changing impact when he started his ministry and had very little pressure around him. But it soon became very clear that he was going to be ministering while troubles and pressures and stresses and persecution just grew and grew and grew around him. But that didn't deter him. And his influence and his impact didn't get smaller when the persecution and the troubles grew. In fact, the very opposite happened. When the persecutions grew and the troubles grew, it just proved to be a framework and a frame around a greater picture of the glory of God that was shining through Jesus. And so he didn't walk away from troubles. He didn't try and hide from tribulations and suffering. He walked right into the middle of it. And he walked into the middle of it because he recognized that this was not a threat to him being an influence. This was not a threat to him having an impact. This was actually a doorway for him to have even more impact and even more influence. And Peter's saying, have that same attitude. You have troubles, you have struggles, you have uh, things going on in your life. Maybe it's physical sickness, maybe mental issues, maybe family issues, maybe work issues. The world may be pushing around you on different sides. Don't see those things as threats to your influence, threats to your impact. Oh, I'm just going to have to diminish. I'm going to have to get smaller because these things are crowding around on every side. He says, have the same attitude as Jesus who saw those things not as threats, but actually as opportunities. 
Not even just as opportunities, but a launching pad for more of the glory of God. And the greatest influence, the greatest impact Jesus had in his life was when he was suffering the most. He displayed his love to us in the greatest way when he was surrounded by hate. He displayed his forgiveness to us in the most powerful way when he was surrounded by bitterness. He displayed the glory of God to us in the most profound way when he was most suffering. It was not a threat to him. It was an opportunity. It was an opportunity to show out the glory of God. And Peter says, have the same attitude. And if you have that same attitude, all the pressures you feel, all the troubles you feel, all the stuff that's going on in your life can actually turn into a framework for the greatest displays of the glory of God through you. You can have way more influence and impact if you find Jesus Christ and the power of Jesus Christ and the life of Jesus Christ flowing through you in those moments than even when it's all going well. So don't see them as a threat. Or a trouble or a problem that's going to stop your impact. They actually could do exactly the opposite. So what is it that Jesus had? How did he walk through these things? If we're to have the same attitude, what was that attitude? Well, Peter unpacks some of it for us right here, right in verse 8. And I'm going to spend most of my time just in verse 8 and verse 9. Because it's important, I think, for us that we get this. Because we want to have impact, right? We want to have influence, even as a community that's way bigger than the sum of our parts. So let's not shrink back from the pressures that are around us and the struggles that are around us and the the tough things we're going through because actually they're an opportunity for the glory of God to shine in greater and greater ways, not just for us, but into the community around us. So how did Jesus do that? And how can that attitude be in us? Well, look here at verse 8. Peter gives us a clue and he says it very poetically to us. He says, finally, if you all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, Brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. There's some poetry to that. There's some symmetry to that. He says two things about our minds. He says two things about our hearts. And then in the middle of it all, he says if those things are happening, if our hearts are lined up with the heart of God, if our minds are lined up with the mind of God, what comes out of that is brotherly love. It's family. It's a powerful expression of the family of God upon the earth. And then we're going to discover that it's going to have an impact on the people around us. So let me unpack these things for us today. What does he mean, first of all, when he talks about our mind? He says there needs to be something happens to your minds if you're going to have the influence and the impact that God wants you to have. And he said what needs to happen to your minds together as a corporate body of people is that you come into unity of mind. You have one mind. And then he says, you need to have a humble mind. Well, you actually need to have one to have the other. You can't have unity if you don't have a humble mind. But what does he mean by unity of mind? The word means, obviously, to be one together. It means to live in harmony, to be harmonious, to think in the same line, to have our purposes and our direction in the same direction, to have one mind together. And how do we come into that oneness of mind? Well, one thing we know from thousands of years of experience, you are never going to come into unity of mind, everybody together, just around the ideas of men or the ideas of women. It won't work. Just our own ideas. 
We put them out there and people think about them. Maybe you can gather a few people that agree with you. Maybe you can gather many people that you can, can agree with you. But not such a diverse group as was in the church and in the church right here and right now. How do we get unity of mind together? Well, the Bible tells us the way to get into that place of unity of mind. It's not to be thinking, the, trying to get into the unity around the ideas of men and women. But to get into unity around the thoughts of God. The mind of God. And the Bible holds out for us the amazing possibility that we can think the thoughts of God. In fact, Paul speaks to probably one of the most divided and dysfunctional churches in the New Testament era in Corinth. They have all sorts of trouble, of divisions and everything else. And he speaks into them amazing truth in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16. He says to them this, you corporately have the mind of Christ. They might have been having fights at their communion tables and they might have had all sorts of sin going on and all sorts of things happening and it could look like they were all over the place and disunified. But Paul says to them this, if you have Christ in you, if you're born again of the Holy Spirit, you have the life of Jesus living in you by the power of that same Holy Spirit. He begins to transform your mind and you have the capacity to think the thoughts of God. And when you think the thoughts of God, he brings you together because we all start agreeing together around his thoughts, not our thoughts. We can have the mind of Christ. And, and how do we know when we're in unity together in the mind of Christ? Is it when we've got all our theology lined up and everybody agrees on everything theologically? Well, no, that's not going to happen, is it? I mean, there's many different ways to look at some of the things in the Bible. We agree that the Bible is the word of God from beginning to end, but people can have different interpretations of that. How about we, we agree together about our practices, how we do things in the church? Well, people have different ideas about how we should practice different parts of church life. How do we get unified together around the mind of Christ? Well, let's think for a minute about the mind of Christ. How did Jesus think? We can tell because the Bible tells us. When he was 12 years old, he was in Jerusalem. He was in the temple. He was sitting down with the teachers and his parents had gone home and just lost him. They didn't know where he was. They come back a couple of days later. He's still in the temple listening and talking and whatever. And they say to him, uh, what are you doing here? Why, why aren't you with us? And Jesus just looks at them and says, don't you realize I have to be about my master's business? He had a very clear understanding in his mind of what he was about. He had a very clear understanding of his purpose. He had a very clear understanding of his mission and he never wavered from it. He had a focus on his mission. He was single-minded and his mission was about reaching Lost people. Individuals, towns, crowds. He'd go, he'd preach, he'd uh, uh, show displays of the glory of God, raising the dead, healing the sick. Setting the captives free. And when one folk, group of folks had heard it and, and whether they responded or not, it was time to move on to the next lot and time to move on to the next one. He was always moving because he was single-minded about the mission. And the mission was reaching lost people. How do we know when we are united in the mind of Christ? Is it when our theology is together? Is it when our practice is together? 
No. It's when we get together in the mission of God. And the mission of God is about reaching lost people. That's what he's about. Reaching people. And when we unite our minds together around the mind of Christ and we submit ourselves. Look what Peter says here in verse 2 of chapter 4. We live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, no longer for what we want, for our desires, but we're now living for the will of God. And what does God want to do? God wants to reach people. That's what God wants to do. He's not willing that any should perish, the Bible says, but that all should come to a knowledge of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might find life. That's the mission. We might not be agreed on our theology and on all of the practices, but we can be agreed on the mission. We're here to reach people for Jesus. Now, how do we come into that place of unity of mind together? Well, you don't get into that place of unity of mind unless God gives us the grace to have humility of mind. An arrogant person just has all the answers. Humble mind hears. It listens. Pride puffs up. Humility builds up other people. You can build unity around humility. You cannot build unity around arrogance and pride. It will not happen. It only happens when we submit ourselves. There's that word again that Peter's been talking about in the last chapter or so. We submit ourselves to the will of God and the purposes of God for our lives individually and corporately as a fellowship. Let me explain to you how that works. Ron has already told you this story. It's good to rehearse it, though, because of right where we're at in the middle of uh, of the journey that we're in. I'm going to add some bits to it that you might not have known. So in 2016, in January, we had a leader's day on a Saturday. And on the Thursday, we were still wrestling with elders about what we were going to present at the leader's day. Because we had to give some direction. Are we staying here? Are we building here? Or are we moving? And if we're moving, where are we moving? So we have a discussion, which turned out to be a little bit more emotional than just a discussion amongst the elders. We're battling this backwards and forwards. Why would God want us to leave here? Like what, 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 why would God do that? We've got a whole lot of investment in this area already. And, and why would God move us over somewhere else where there's just a field? There were no other buildings out there except the Sonova Center. Nothing. Why would God do that? And so the discussion got more and more animated and uh, some of the voices were raised and, uh, and we were trying to sort this all out and we were getting nowhere. But at some point, the Holy Spirit broke into us. Some point, he broke into us in a way that we began to catch the mind of Christ. It suddenly wasn't about the building. It suddenly wasn't about the money. It suddenly wasn't about the location. It suddenly wasn't about all the other things that seemed to matter to us. What mattered was the people and who God wanted to reach. And suddenly, instead of banging heads against each other, trying to work out all the details, we were on the floor. We were crying. We were asking the Lord to to heal us, and we were repenting. There was a humility of mind that came by the grace of the Holy Spirit. And God united us together around 
the mission. We are here to reach people. And the reason God wants to take us over to the other side of the river is because there's five and a half thousand homes, people living in West St. Paul, and many of them need to hear the gospel. There's people in Seven Oaks. There's people in North Maine and around West Kildona. All sorts of nations. All sorts of people from all sorts of places. And God wanted us to go over there to reach those people for him. That's the mission. And it united us together. And suddenly there was unity. Well, now we had to go to the leader's day. And when we went to the leader's day, some of us were a little nervous. What's going to happen when we get up and say, uh, we're thinking that we ought to move. And people had already got wind of it. And some people came to that meeting with an absolute mind made up that this is no, we are not leaving this property. God has put us here and we're not going anywhere. One of those people was Marlene Schroeder. If you know Marlene Schroeder, she uh, works in our school. She's been a huge blessing. She's one of our heroines. Uh, it's just been working for the Lord here and blessing us in so many different ways. But she came to that meeting thinking, I'm going to say no. She listened by the grace of God and because of who she is in God. She sort of humbled her mind enough to say, okay, Lord, whatever you want in this. But she was still pretty made up this was a no. She got in a car to go and pray. It's a great way of finding the mind of God. Go and humble yourself and pray. Seek his face. So she got in a car. She went over to West St. Paul. She was driving down the road next to the property. And suddenly a song started to come up in her mind. It's a twist on an old song. This land is my land. This land is your land. This land is my land. This land is your land. And she just knew it was the Holy Spirit. And God united her mind with us in terms of what God wanted to do. And it was around the mission. God wanted us to go over there to reach people. And God continued to do that. The first time we presented, it's a miracle really. But 85% of the people in that leader's day said that they felt that this was God, that we should move. 85%. We went to the congregation, we had exactly the same number, 85%. Some of you were still wrestling with it. Came to us and said things like, you know, uh, we believe it's right for you, but we're not sure how we fit into it because we don't feel God wants us to move over there. And we didn't know what to do with it. So it felt like a little bit of disunity. What was the problem? The problem was we had some of the mind of Christ, but we didn't have all of the mind of Christ on the issue. And when it became clear that God wanted to leave something and plant another congregation right here to continue the work that we're doing here and to reach out to the people here, there's a number of people who was like, That's it. That's it. Now we're united together around the mind of Christ, around the mission of Christ. And we're all coming together around what God has for us in that. Some of you are still in process with that. And that's fine. Believe God will speak to us all as we go through and put us in the places where he wants us to be. But that's how we come into the mind of Christ together. It's around purpose and it's around his mission. And we come into it through humility. Mind that's one mind together and a humble heart. How else can we grow in this thing of having influence on our world and learning to turn the pressures of our lives into something that becomes a blessing to those outside of us? Well, then Peter goes on and talks about heart issues. He talks about sympathy and a tender heart. They're two different words, but they both mean a similar thing. They both mean that you allow yourself to feel the pain of the people around you. In fact, the tender-hearted one, it says you, you kind of let it go right down into the depths of your being. Because here's the truth. Getting into the mission of what God's doing is warfare. 
And in the warfare, people get hurt. Things happen. People get knocked about. We all get knocked about. Every single one of us. And you can't be so focused on the mission that you miss the point of the mission, which is to look after the people and to, and to minister to the people, as well as reaching those that you're reaching more people for God. And so Peter's saying, to add to this one mind of our mission, you need to add the heart that says, we're going to look after each other as we go through this mission. Some of us might not be in agreement about which way to go. Does that mean you're not going to get looked after? Does that mean you're not part of the family anymore? Some of us might decide we want to go one way and then it's like, oh no, we should be going another way. Oh, I'm going to be double-minded. Everybody thinks I'm double-minded. Does that mean you're not part of the family anymore? Does that mean that we're not going to care for you anymore? We're a family together. We love each other. We look after each other. Regardless of where we're at, we care for each other because we want to walk together into what God has for us. And you guys are great at doing this. You're amazing. Last year alone, when we added up all the, you know, we came out at the end of the year with a $40,000 surplus, which was amazing, in our budget. But on top of that, you guys, you gave generously to our, our building fund. You sent money to our overseas workers. You sent money to orphans in Romania. You sent shoeboxes to children all over the world. You've sent beds to people in our city, families in our city, and clothing and, uh, and different types of furniture, families in our city that need it. You guys have been amazing in the generosity and the kindness of the love that you share with each other and beyond you. As pastors, we get to hear about some of these things. Groceries left on people's doorsteps. Cars that get fixed out in the parking lot while Sunday service is going on and people don't know somebody's out there fixing somebody's car. You guys are amazing. Gary here. You, when Gary gets up to prophesy and speak sometimes, you can hear the, the rustle in his throat uh, from his speech. That's because Gary and Liz have been wrestling through cancer uh, that Gary has been struggling with. Now, For most of us, if you're like me, I would sort of kind of pull myself together and wrap my blanket around me and just try and look after myself, but not Gary. Gary is just finishing up nine years of overseeing a group called the Connect Group. He's done it with help from uh, Jack and Diane Booth and others around him. The Connect Group is a group of people who have all sorts of different struggles and difficulties they're going through. Many of them can't even sit in a crowd that's this big. So how can, how can they be in a church environment? Well, they're in a church environment because Gary goes to them. And he meets with them. And if they're not there, he phones them up. And he goes to visit them in hospital. Some of you are here today because of Gary's care of you. That is having a heart that is a heart of sympathy and tenderness, even though he's going through his own struggles. And Gary's not alone. I don't have time to tell you about all the food bank people. Wendy meets them coming through the door here on a Saturday, and they give themselves to people week in, week after week, just blessing them. Those of you who run cell groups and look after the people in your cell groups or you look after our children and our young adults and our youth and the young mums looking after each other and the EAL people upstairs looking after people. You are such a tender-hearted, generous-hearted, sympathetic people. And the result of it all is brotherly love. We're a family. We're a family together. We take care of each other. I know things get lost. 
And I'm sure you may have some stories, some of you, of things that you hoped somebody was going to be there for you, and maybe they weren't for whatever reason. We're not perfect. But there's so much love that goes on here between us. It's a wonderful thing. And Peter's incredibly um, expressing to these folks in the early Christian church, live like that. Live like that together, because if you want to have influence on the world, it starts by the love that you have here and the oneness of mind that you have here together. And it all comes out in that brotherly love. Peter goes on, he says, how does this spill out into the people around us? He said, listen, when you've got this going on inside, when you're... When you're strong inside you're able to give outside better when you're strong as a community on the inside you're able to do things that are kind of going to blow people away he says don't repay evil for evil or reviling but on the contrary bless for to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing some of these people are going to get dragged out of their homes by soldiers in the middle of the night some of them will never come back Some of these people are going to lose houses and property. They're going to have a job and a profession and they're never going to be able to work in that job and that profession. All of that in the world's eyes sounds like a loss of influence and a loss of impact. But Peter's saying if you have the mind of Christ, it's exactly the opposite. Because if you can learn, instead of repaying evil for evil or reviling for reviling, you can take this mantle of blessing that belongs to the children of the Most High God. And you can bless the culture, you can bless the people, you can bless your boss who's hard on you, you can bless the, the, the tax people who don't give you back what you think you should get, you could bless the people in all sorts of different areas of your life that you feel might be pressuring, you can bless family members that might be giving you a hard time. If you can rise up and be the people that God wants you to be and has called you to be, and his spirit inside of us is enabling us to be, we can live a life of blessing. That word, blessing, It's the Greek word eulogia, from which we get the word eulogize. Eulogize is what you do at a, uh, you do a eulogy at a funeral and you stand up and you say all the good things about this person's life. That's a eulogy. Blessing means to speak good things about people to them. It means to honor them. It means to encourage them, to speak life into them. You're doing such a good job of this. You're doing such a good job of that. That's what I've been doing to you this morning. I've been blessing you. I've been blessing you for hanging in on this process that we've been going through. It should blow a church apart. And it has done. Some of you got stories of it. A building project like this can blow a church apart if we don't keep coming back to humility of mind that leads us to oneness of mind. You guys have been amazing. You guys have been so kind in different ways in what you're doing. And Peter's saying, if you can bless each other in those ways and bless the culture around you and bless the people around you, you will turn the world upside down with that blessing, despite all the troubles that are happening to you. In fact, the troubles will just amplify how wonderful that blessing is. Because you know what happened to these Christians? What happened to them was that they thought, the Romans thought, that they were going to destroy the church. Those same spirits are out in our world today. We shouldn't kid ourselves. The devil wants to destroy the church, and he'll try whichever way he can. He'll use political force. He'll use any sort of force to try and make that happen. 
And so he thought that's what would happen. If he could just divide the church, if he could just pick them off, and they'd start telling tales on each other, and they'd start letting each other go, and they'd stop caring for each other and whatever, and the exact opposite happened. And the Roman, average Roman citizen started to watch what was happening and say, these Christians are amazing. Look at them. They bless people when they're cursed. They do good to people who do bad to them. They're kind to people who hate them. What is it about these Christians that's different? And by the time this thing was all over, in 400 years, the Roman Empire was gone. But the church is not gone. Because the spirit of the living God, the resurrection life of Jesus still courses through the veins of his people. Peter started this passage by saying, you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. Your place on this earth is to stand and bless the nations. You're a priesthood. You raise up your hands over those people around you and bless them. Pour out the grace and the kindness of God into their lives. A holy nation. A people belonging to God. Why? Look what he says at the end of that passage in 1 Peter chapter 2. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So here's the thing. We have lots of pressures as a church. We're between the Egyptians and the Red Sea in terms of the building project. We need God to break through. We're going to keep praying and fasting every Wednesday. If you want to join us, you can sign up on Wednesday to do that. However you can fast with us, you fast. We're going to pray and fast every Wednesday till we have a breakthrough. And not just about the building thing. Gary's still got cancer. Other people of us do too. We want to pray about healing. We want to pray and fast until we see a breakthrough. Because God wants to break through. On those Wednesdays, you come and pray with us. You can sign up between 7 and 9 on a Wednesday. I'm going to be doing some worship and some praying, and we're going to pray for the sick. If you want to come and join me, Ken Silk, you're very welcome to come and join us as we pray for those things together. But all of those pressures, all of those troubles, all of the things that are going on around us are not a threat. They're not a threat to who we are in God. And they're not a threat to our impact and our influence in this city, in this community, in this province, and in this nation. Actually, the exact opposite is true. Those pressures, the stuff that you're going through in your own life right now, is an opportunity. It's a launching pad for you to respond like Jesus responded. And in doing so, You will end up blessing this culture and nation and you will change it by the power of the Holy Spirit in ways that you do not believe are possible. God's ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. You say, Peter, I can't do that. I am in trouble and I'm just struggling to stay alive and I can't even do that. Let me tell you something. You have the Spirit of Christ in you. The hope of glory in your heart. The same spirit that took Jesus through all that suffering is in you. He is alive in you. 
And that power in us when we unite together, when we love each other and we walk together in unity, that power in us enables us to live in a way that glorifies him, in a way that we think, is how, how is that even possible? Lord, through all my brokenness and sinfulness and everything else. Well, it happened because it started with God. It came from God. It's through God. And it's all going to go back to him. When all this stuff works out in the building and we're out in West St. Paul in a brand new building in a couple of years and Ken and Fiona are flourishing in a congregation here in Gateway East, we're just going to say, God, you did something amazing. It was all you. It was all you. And our influence in those neighborhoods will just grow and grow as a result.